0: the startup capital of the UK, Silicon Valley by the sea. Brighton is home to some of the most creative minds, developing disruptive and purpose-led businesses. You're listening to the Brighton Startup Podcast, the show that brings you exclusive interviews with the founders, CEOs and investors of the most exciting Brighton businesses today. With your host, Christina Pericati, Let's get started. Today we'll be speaking to John Pritchard, founder of Parler Eyewear, a premium eyewear brand that is minimising impact on the environment and maximising the positive social impact on people. And as of very recently, they are now certified as a B Corp. So John, thanks so, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, please fill in the gaps of that intro and give us a glimpse of a day in the life of you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Um, I will try and keep it brief because I do have a habit of of talking and talking. So I'll uh, I don't want to bore your listeners. So yes, so Parler has been around since 2016, trading since 2016. Um, I actually registered the company back uh, more than 10 years ago, um, and that that came from when I was back at Microsoft. Um, we had a conference over in the US, and Blake Mykowski, the founder of Tom Shoes, was there. Uh, and he was talking about obviously his shoe giving program where you buy a pair of shoes, you, you give a pair of shoes. And really for me, that was the first time I'd really heard of, of social entrepreneurialism and putting sort of social impact at the heart of the business. And um, anyway, I kind of whistled on for another sort of seven or eight years at Microsoft and a seed was planted in my head. And uh, I, it got to a stage where maybe I say about five years ago, I thought, do you know what? It's about time I actually uh, you know went off and did something on my own i mean microsoft is a great company had a nice creative role there where all i had to do was daydream and think up ideas which was obviously (laughs) which is great (laughs) and getting paid for it um but yeah there's a time when you you kind of think you know i want to have um have more of an impact in my work um a bit more purpose than just taking some money from one company and giving it to another so um what that purpose was i wasn't too sure but i had been traveling um in, in sort of prior years to various countries in Africa. Uh, had a real great experience meeting families and, 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 and the culture and obviously the beautiful vistas of the Serengeti and all that kind of stuff and a real affinity. You know, I, I, I sort of grown an affinity there. Uh, and for me it was a case um, of of looking at an issue that was, you know, I was made aware of, which was eye care. I mean, 10% of the world's population can't access eye care, but in certain parts of you know, African countries, for example, it's as high as 98%. So you know, um, yeah, and yet a pair of spectacles is, is arguably one of the most cost-effective poverty alleviating tools you can give someone. So it was that was a cause. That for me was a you know a solution. Let, let's do something with spectacles. Let's get some spectacles or, or or help with corrective eye care in some of the countries that uh, you know, that I've, I've visited. And so my ne- my sort of first step really was going to Vision Aid overseas, um, charity based up near Gatwick. And I said, look, you guys uh, do, do impact work uh, in Africa, in Ethiopia, Burkina Faso, Ghana, Zambia. Um, if you can sort of help me fulfill um, with, with uh, you know, finances, then I'll go away and try and think of a company to kind of you know, leverage that, um, that impact. And so in that kind of marketing 101 sense, I went away and thought, okay, well, I'm gonna create an eyewear company that will deliver change. So if you buy sunglasses, you're helping deliver impact and change um, through the Vision Aid programs uh, in Africa. And I do that through providing grant money. So it's very important that it's grant money as opposed to just being money that goes into the charity and, and you know mm-hmm. <laughs> goes into a very gray area of charity. And I, I've always wanted to be able to tell people, well, actually, this is what's happened. This is the physical stuff that's happened to, to, to the money that's, that you've, you've provided through your purchase. So yeah, a bit of a roundabout kind of way. Um, I came into eyewear purely by, by, by retrofitting it to a cause. Um, so I had no experience. Uh, I've got very little fashion sense, it is. So it came from a very very, um, very difficult starting point. But then you kind of go out there and, and gather a load of people around you and, and find some experts, and you gradually start building sort of a team. And that's probably those years. That was sort of years before, before I launched, where I was just sort of getting the right people in place um getting the right sort of product elements in place as well. Um and, and trying to get good at that first for just launching and blindly going into a market I had no idea of. And actually, you know, sunglasses is arguably one of the most competitive industries in the world. Mm, so totally yeah. I, I think if I'd been in the industry to start with I never would have done it. I think the fact that I came from this naive standpoint was actually um was actually quite a benefit. So yeah, that's that's parlour, And then um that's sort of that was of a starting point, and then since then we've, you know, as a sustainable brand, it's all about slow growth. It's not about, you know, not not a fast fashion brand where we suddenly become trendy and cool. It's it's basically um, if we want to maintain our our work and our impact that we do, um, then it's it, it costs us money, and so we can't just have we don't have lots of marketing budget. We don't have lots of money to throw around to to, to promote ourselves. But what 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 we do do is is ensure that what we're doing in our giving uh, is, you know. Is entirely transparent so not only do we do the work in um uh, through the giving programs uh in africa uh, the, the cases was also a, a, a really important part of um the proposition i didn't want people just to have a case like when you go to a optician, you just get given a case then it's not like sort of you get to choose a case it's just mm-hmm. normally quite a dull looking thing and um uh, i worked actually with a local ngo um called careful basket so they're based over in Worthing. Uh, it's run by a, a Ghanaian guy called Jib Hagan, and he, uh, the NGO that he runs over in Ghana is a basket weaving community, and they make baskets out of um, elephant grass. And actually, in recent times, because of climate change, it's meant that elephant grass, where um, so this is in Bolgatanga, by the way, up in northeast uh, Ghana. Um, because of climate change, it has meant the elephant grass is, is transferred a lot further down south, so it actually takes, you know, Uh, a couple of hours now for the women to go and gather the elephant grass bring it back and weave with and actually there's inherent dangers in doing that as well Um, so uh, and what what jib has done has managed to do is understand that actually you can actually recycle plastic or use old plastic bags or water sachets by washing um, twisting cutting and then you actually make strands which you can actually use to weave with and so um, we work with four uh, female communities i think it's roughly 125 uh people and we take uh plastic waste from the manufacturing process from a company in Accra so it's a secretary waste which will be destined to landfill and we also uh encourage the local communities to keep their water sachets just in in Ghana unfortunately the waterbed has been poisoned by um pesticides from the 50s and 60s that they got in from the USA so you can't actually just drink water from a tap you have to drink out of these water bags basically and you probably go through about 10 or 12 of those um a day. So people just drink, throw them on the ground. But actually but by putting a value on them, which is what we've done, uh, it means they don't get thrown on the ground, they get used in the weaving process and you, you know you get paid for that. So I think in since we've launched, uh yeah, we've we've used more than twenty-five thousand water sachets, for example, wow, um, cool. in our cases. So it's kind of a encouraging sustainability. Mm-hmm. Uh but also the important fact there is that um by working um with plastic it means that communities are able to kind of know not have to venture too far away from where they live to to gather the the grass so quite perversely plastic is proving to be a solution for this community in this case Um, so that's another touch point of the brand and then and then uh, the last you know two or three years it's all been about um coming out with better materials um in terms of for the product so for our sunglasses um, you know we well in 2019 we started um experimenting with recycled acetate and then um and a little bit of bioacetate and then from last year we've gone full bioacetate and bioacetate is a plant-based material it's made from uh sort of pulp uh wood pulp um and so it's yeah it's entirely organic and 100 biodegradable um obviously i will caveat in the right conditions otherwise you don't want them biodegrading on your face when you're wearing them <laughs> um so and, and you know with this this year we're le- using lenses which are 40 percent made from castor bean um, so again, mm-hmm. trying to reduce plastic wherever we can. So we're pretty much plastic-free as a brand now. Uh, there's a few more, you know, a few more hurdles to jump there, um, but that's more down to innovation and technology, which we haven't, you know, which we don't have yet to 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 be able to go out there and and and, and achieve. But the um, the dream is for us to be, you know, completely plastic-free uh, as a as a product at least. Um, you know, by the well, not, uh, sorry, that sounded really bad. I said as a product but we're, we're plastic-free anyway in all our Packaging and production, but um, yeah, as a as a product, I want I want customers to be able to, to buy a, um, a product and there isn't, you know there's there's no plastic in products at all. Yeah, uh, it will just take a few more years, but um, I'm pretty sure um, we'll get there.
0: You're probably one of the the first uh, businesses that I've interviewed on the show that is super authentically impact first. Right, you started this to create social impact. Your the, the way that you generate revenues based on sustainability and impact and that that must come with some challenges though as well right because you because of that sustainability piece you want to keep growing so you can reach more people and do more good but a lot of the decisions you make have to be around that that um positive and social impact so d- does that does hmm. that cause friction for you as a business leader in decision making a lot of the time
1: um it doesn't really just because it has been something that I've instilled right from the start in my sort of, um, in my, in my decision making, you know, this, this, this fact that for us, it's about minimizing the impact, as you said at the start, minimizing impact on planet and maximize social impact on people. That's the lens through which we make all our decisions, um, as a business, but it, yeah, it does, it does come with, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's it is a, a situation where we're not going to be making profits um you know as quickly as other companies you know we've been trading five years we've never made a profit yet you know, that's, there's not many companies out there you know that could probably survive like that but we're we're very mad you know uh we, we manage our our revenues really really carefully and we're closing that gap and you know I, i've got a vision that by 2023 we will have sort of hit you know parity in terms of uh and, and that, you know on that level and for me it's not about creating a business that's going to be making me millions of pounds that's far from you could be further from the truth you know anything we do is about the giving and so um you know when we when we hit that sort of day where where i can kind of sustain myself within the business as well you know and then you know the world is our oyster because it will be down to just how much we can channel um from our sales to different projects that are out there Mm. you know we did a vision center in 2017 We, we um funded for a whole uh, development of so a vision center in Zambia. Um, it serves a region of 75,000 people. And and this is a country which until 2015 only had four optometrists from the whole country. You now, wow. there's some serious issues out there. So we know that by providing proper infrastructure and long-term you know, solutions, not sticking to solutions, that we are making proper change. And, you know, there's so many other, you know, we're, we're involved in a, and I am, uh, and I care projects in Ethiopia at the moment in schools, for example, but you know, there's so many other projects we can get involved with, and it's just you know, I can't wait for that time when I've got a bit more money in the coffers that we can we can allocate to that part of the business rather than just using that money to just keep the business sustained as a business. Mm. So, um, but yeah, that's that's the challenge of being a, uh, I think, a uh, you know, I'm not unique. I think if you're running a sustainable business and you want to, you know, really uh, create impact, then you're kind of Whatever the term is, your bottom line is the thing that comes, you know, is the thing that is obviously affected quite a lot because uh, you you want to pay, you know, we pay our weavers almost three times the minimum wage. You know, it's not about giving them just enough pay to be sustained in poverty, it's about helping them to empower themselves out of poverty. Mm. Um, so it's the way we do things. You know, if by the time a case has landed here in the UK, for example, it's probably cost me 10 times more than if I'd got a, a case in China. So it's a business decision but for me it's it's the right decision in, in this time and place
0: that makes sense and 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 also you've got you've got this other element where you're actually doing a lot of r&d right you're actually innovating in, in the space of creating plastic free um eyewear as well which is really exciting so that kind of i feel like that elevates elevates a lot and makes it so much more scalable in terms of what you can do on an even bigger scale than than the social impact you're making right now uh, and and you mentioned that this all kind of came about when you were traveling and i find that quite a few stories of people that, that come up with new business ideas come from from traveling and did you do you feel like you had the idea kind of brewing in your head before or was it something that you saw and experienced there that was like right i need to do this
1: yeah it's something i've had uh, in the back of my mind um i was inspired but it's not i haven't wasn't sort of inspired in the last 5 to 10 years i my travels to to africa have been... Sort of you know 20 plus years ago and that's where I kind of had the real affinity for the country and the people and the you know just the cultures um, so I kind of if I was ever going to do something that had sort of uh, an impact I kind of knew it was going to head in that direction towards uh, the various countries in Africa but I didn't know in what capacity that would mm-hmm. be um, so yeah that's that's kind of how how it how it came about and and when i with with vision aid overseas i've been over to ethiopia and i've been to zambia and ghana now um to see the projects on the ground and and see the you know the problems and the difficulties but also see the solutions as well and, and you know seeing someone putting on a pair of glasses for the first time when they've had impaired vision for maybe the last 30 years of their life and, and actually being able to see you know it's incredible And and you kind of think just you know what they could do with that now. It's you know the yeah. it's it's in Ethiopia which is a, a, a kind of a high cotton based industry and there's lots of tailoring and sewing going on. If you're a woman and you haven't got close, you know, if you've got poor eyesight, you mm-hmm. can't thread a needle, you can't work. And the simplicity of that for me is just like, well, okay, let's let's just find a solution here because it's a pair of glasses or some corrective surgery. And then all of a sudden you've got an income. It's it's that simple. So so that's that's kind of how it's come about, really, and it's I love the simplicity of, of, of what can be achieved through, mm-hmm. through eye care rather than, you know, sort of donations of money. Just yeah. I want to see. I want to see that here's a vision center. It's going to have two and a half thousand people going through it every year yeah. you know, we know that this, people's lives are going to be positive, positively impacted as a result of, of, of that change.
0: That's so cool. I love that. Your your story fills me with so much joy. Congrats on what you've done so far. That's awesome. So, so so tell us a bit, give us a glimpse into that day in the life of, of you then. You must be doing all sorts of things still as a founder. What, what's a day in the life of you look like?
1: Um, yeah, we're still very, very small business in some respects. Um and in terms of personnel, there's me and I've got one other full-time. We do work with a number of um, sort of freelancers on you know some PR and some design, etc um but to be honest i just have to wear a gazillion hats in the business um yeah i mean i'm a creative person at heart and so being organized and managing and project managing all this kind of stuff probably is not my greatest strength but i have to i've had to kind of learn to get better at that mm. um you know you know accounts i mean yes we have an accountancy firm that do our accounts but you still have to make sure what you're putting into the system is right in the first place and all That kind of thing that you know, you, you just assume, oh great, and account, you know, accountants can take care of this side of the business. Well, actually, when you're in it, it's actually you still want to take care of it yourself, but they will be there to, to back you up. And then there's you know, um, collaborations looking at collaborations, looking at wholesale opportunities. Um, yeah, social obviously is a huge part for us, and, and kind of conveying our story and and kind of understanding what material we want to get from that, and, and sort of you know, how to, how do you want to connect with people. Um, but i guess yeah fundamentally for me the most of my time is is spent on product mm-hmm. um, trying to get that right get it really spot on for our customers um and, and again you know improving materials and improving you know the way we provide that product um so if that takes a lot of my time we've actually just moved um to a new factory uh in italy um this month um so all our all our well, I say this month, we, we conversations were sort of back at the beginning of lockdown. So, mm-hmm. uh, but in terms of production, it started this month, and um, for our 2021 season, uh, and that's been a really, you know, quite a time-consuming um, yeah. thing for me because it's language is fine, it's good. I mean, I actually I actually am I'm on my Duolingo app learning Italian yeah. every day, but it's still not brilliant. I can tell, you know, I can get the girl to the shop to buy a cake, but I can't <laughs> actually have a conversation with my with my supplier. Yet. <laughs> But it's it's that kind of, you know, it's for me, it's it's trying to kind of grow that, um, I want to grow the business correctly. Mm-hmm. And for me, the move to Italy is so important in that it means we can produce small batch um, production, or yeah. we can you know, produce limited editions, 40 to 50 pieces, rather than where I've worked with China previously. And, and I've got no issue with China at all. And uh, we had a very good factory out there, which was ethically audited, and they produce very good eyewear for lots of good brands. And, you know, um, but for me, there was a number of reasons. One is I could work for small batch, so less wastage, because we'd only intend to produce what we need to produce rather than having to produce minimums of maybe 300 pieces of a style, which, you know, you've, gotta, you've got to, uh, you've pro- got, probably got to run that stock for a couple of years, you know, when you're a small brand at least to, to, to move that on. And it's, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to be able to say that here's 40 pieces, batch one, Okay, when that's gone, here's our second batch batch two of these pieces. And I think that's that's kind of sustainable anyway. It's, it's kind of the way the world yeah. is going. Um so that was, yeah, that's been an important consideration. But also, you know, as a as a uh, environmentally conscious brand, we don't want to be shipping sunglasses all the way over from China to the UK. And we can now road freight for ones from Italy to the UK. Um you know, if we could do sunglasses in the UK, we probably would, but there's just very, very little manufacturing capability. Mm. Uh and um arguably the skill sets of the, the sort of small family run um factory that I'm working with are are really, really high as well. And I I've always wanted to offer the best quality, so it wasn't um uh, a difficult decision.
0: And what's been the worst moment for you in business to date? Take us take us to that moment.
1: <laughs> um yeah, it's, well, I, I wouldn't say there was actually a sort of a, a worse moment. And no, I could put my finger on, we've kind of had a series of bumps. Um, I remember when we were first, first launching, uh, way back when we, the, the brand was actually going to be called something different called father and son. And it's a play on words. So father, as in your sunglass purchase goes father and son S U N very clever. You seem very yes. clever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, that had a logo, F&S, basically, which was going on the side of the sunglasses. And we put that through normal trademark routes. And we probably got a letter two months later from this big billion-dollar gym, highwear company saying, no, you can't use that. You know, we're this company. And the fact that their first letter was a B, so they were B and S. And it was like, what? You know, this is a very short trademark here. It's like a three-letter 3, three letter mark. And the first letter is completely different. And the trademarks nothing similar anyway. And anyway, it was one of those situations where, do you contest this or do you just, you know, deliver, you know, they've got this big Manchester lawyer legal company on to us to, to do this. I haven't got any money to, to fight it. But we actually, I had a, you know, this is where the network comes in handy. I had a friend of a friend who who was um, a trademark lawyer and he, told, he did me a couple of free letters and um, it went to uh, judgment and um, actually we won. Um, the judgment oh, wow. so we and we got some we got, we got 300 pounds in damages i mean this is big stuff oh. <laughs> back from uh back from uh from the other company but uh more than anything it's the fact that you know the david david and goliath situation we took on goliath and, and we beat them and um, but then you changed oh, it anyway and then we didn't use it anyway <laughs> But what it did actually was for a period proved a point. <laughs> of point. Yeah, we proved the point. Yeah. But it, it, you know, cause what it had done, it was, it had suspended production at that time because mm-hmm. we couldn't put that on any of our products. And yeah. so uh, just in case we lost and you know that would have run um, into issues. But, you know, again, back in those early days I remember we worked with Amazon in um, very early days and they seemed to have lost about 9,000 pounds of stock. And uh, it took me 12 months to get that back off them with some legal letters again and um, mm. them saying, well, if you want to take us to court, you'll have to take us to Liechtenstein and making it very, very obstructive for, for us to get our stock back, which <laughs> which is crazy. Uh, it was a very frustrating process, but in the end, they suddenly found their stock after a couple of legal letters. And again, I got a bit of compensation for uh, what was a lot of hours of my time wasted trying to just chase them up because they're very automated as a company. So you just mm. go around in circles and circles and uh, yeah i mean when you're trying to focus on other parts of the business and you're just having to do these phone calls all the time and it was it was frustrating but again you know i guess it shows with a bit of persistence you you get there in the end yeah Um, so that was another bump we've had we've had stock stolen from straight from the manufacturer at at, at an airport somewhere we we sort of we lost about 400 frames um all of a sudden but i I don't know i don't know none of of these feel like they're massive life changing moments uh maybe it's a perspective thing for me uh i i, I call them just look bumps in the road um mm-hmm. my, my my bumps might be different from people but and maybe it's my half glass full kind of perspective on on stuff that these things happen and you know i look back and they've all been resolved ultimately yeah. so and no harm's done and uh so yeah so a, a series of bumps is what i'd say to you mm-hmm. is the answer to that
0: question like nothing seems as bad when you when you're looking back on it sometimes <laughs> So, John, even though you've got worldwide reach with the brand, your business and you are based in Brighton. So, tell us a little bit about what uh, made you decide to stay here. You could go and work from anywhere with the brand. What's it like running your business in in this city?
1: Yeah, well, um, I've I've been in Brighton maybe about thirteen years now. So, moved moved down from London. Um, Say, so probably I'm not alone if that kind of move from London. Uh, looking for the lifestyle change um big fan of the outdoors and the sea and the obviously we've got the uh yeah all the i can't remember the name of it um oh my gosh what's it called the, that way devil's dyke all that area oh, I right, on yeah. it.
0: <laughs> like seven sisters all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what's the area
1: called the south downs there we go oh, oh south my downs. god what a, I oh my called. god i have my brains south collapsed Downs.
0: The south downs
1: so yeah i'm a big fan of that and, and i use that you know the south downs and, and the sea a lot um and so uh there's certainly a lifestyle change first and foremost um but i mean i've been working at a platform nine uh, which i'm sure you'll you'll know for the last three and a half i was pretty much one of their i was there within the first six or seven months of when they um first started and what I've seen even in those last three and a half years is is a huge change in how Brighton is being perceived um as a as a business um city mm-hmm. and hope to an extent because platformizing hope as well. But it's it's the sort of businesses you see in there and there's a real buzz. And you know, there's there's more of these uh you know office um spaces opening up all around town. And this has to be because of demand, it has to be that there's you're seeing people coming out of uh, out of a city now i think i heard a stat the other day is, is one eighth or one ninth of the population of london have decided that when it all comes back to the normal they're going to kind of stay where they're going to stay they're not going to necessarily go back to london because you know we've proven that technology doesn't you know it makes a huge difference now between business meetings and, and mm. getting those done and i don't think people do need to be going in five days a week to london so what we've seen and i'm not saying COVID's necessarily just been the arbiter of that or sorry the, the this um the line in the sand for, for that yeah. happening but this was happening you know two or three four five six years ago and it's one of the reasons i moved out of london was kind of i, I still worked in london for another seven <laughs> seven years after moving yeah. out, so i did do that commute uh, i did bridge up for a while but actually now you know there's there's absolutely no reason for me to go to london for a meeting or or whatever and i think uh, a lot of big business and businesses have cottoned onto that and therefore we now see you know, when I'm in Platform numbers, there's so many different businesses uh, or, or small start. I mean, I think Brighton's massive on the startup scene, and but there's also a lot of great freelancers down here. So if you are a startup, you know, being able to go and tap into a freelancer for design. So you know, my designer that I work with for my graphics and my icons, you know, I met at Platform Nine. So there's a real community of creativity down here, and um, and it just engenders. You know, there's a bit, and, and I think. I don't know why, but maybe because of that whole kind of Brighton vibe of being, you know, green city, uh, you know, green um, um, MP and all this kind of stuff, whether I think that engenders this whole sustainable vibe and people are attracted. It's like, you know, like bees, we're attracted to this kind of same kind of vibe. And and I think that's a great positive um, thought and quite unique. Us in Bristol, I would say, are probably yeah, quite unique in having cool. this kind of vibe to us. Yeah. And um, again, I think that attracts a lot of people. When they get to a certain age, you want to be thinking about the future more and the planet more and and your legacy and whatever and and maybe Brighton has that kind of uh bit of a hold on us
0: oh I like that I like the way you've described that (laughs) um and and John what is the one principle that you live by business or personal that drives your success
1: yeah it's it's going to sound a bit corny because it's one that's probably a lot of people have heard but for me it is you know be the change you want to see um in the world which um various people have attributed to to Gandhi, um but it, it's it's yeah it for me it is it goes back to what I said earlier you've kind of got one life and uh you know with everything that's going on in the world I I, I need to make a, an effort myself This is me personally I, I want to make an effort to try and see what I can do in my small way to, to at least try and help for the future um you know for future generations and so I, if I sat back I'm not being the change if I lean forward and, and and try and do something proactive and try and create change for my business then I am being the change I'm kind of living up to um, living up to that mantra and you know when I'm in my rocking chair in my 70s or 80s you know whether my business succeeds or fails at least I know I try my best uh, in in trying to do something uh, positive um, for this this planet whereas if I may stuck in my regular nine to five hours back and there's nothing wrong with that at all. instantly. But if I, if for me personally, if I'd stuck in, in that, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wouldn't have, if I'd looked back on it, I would have just felt that well, I'd missed something for me personally in my life mm. to have, have gone out there and then tried to do it for myself.
0: Cool. And what are you most excited about right now?
1: Um, well, I've talked about Italy. That is pretty exciting mm. for us. That's a step change in our, our, product again um, got a very good relationship already with the family that run the the factory and so very excited about the new collection when it comes out in april um, the b corp clearly is a big thing from us from last year again um, you know that's the highest uh, sort of verification of our social and environmental impacts it's, it's really a, you know a, it's a, it's a, a certification that, that is you know globally recognized and I think that's something that whilst we're, it's probably not so familiar here in the UK and certainly in the sort of B2C or sort of con- consumer world, probably not that familiar. But in the US, you are seeing B Corp being branded on products and in windows of you know, companies
0: yeah, because it okay. is more and more of a thing like everybody i'm I'm hearing everyone talking about it now because it's now it's trendy to be socially <laughs> responsible
1: yeah and it's you know it's it's kind of like what i like about the certification is it doesn't grill you down well it's a pew i mean it, well it does grill you massively but it doesn't it will forgive you if you're sort of slightly weak in an area but you're really strong in other areas and i think with some certifications and stuff unless you're like 100 in, in an area then then they, they kind of don't want you and, and you know, as a, as a brand and especially as a startup brand, you can't be all things yeah. right from the start. It's kind of like, well, we're do, doing this and we're planning to do this better. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I like that, the, the whole thing with B Corp is you, you get to recertify every three years. So, you know, it's not like we've, we've, we've won the, we've won the kind of B Corp lottery and we're in now. You know, we, if we don't, if we're not good enough in three years time, they'll, they'll throw us out again. And, yeah. but for me, you know, it's looking at, right, I want to get a better score than I did last time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a carrot and a stick and I love that. And it's good to have something doing that for you. And I think it will become, I generally do think it will become the de facto yeah. uh, kind of brand mark that will sit on a lot of packaging and company websites, et cetera, going forwards because it, it, it really does, you know, it does all the hard work for the consumers. It kind of says that this, this company has been verified to very high standards and we're satisfied with that. And so, yeah, that's, that's certainly, um, Important thing this year, and I'm going to see how we kind of use that going forwards over the next few years. And then the only other thing I was going to mention was we've we've launched a a back scheme so that for for the UK customers at least, if you buy a pair of sunglasses with the envelope we we give you, we can if you tick a checkbox at our uh, on the website, and you can you can put up to three old frames, so not our, that must, <laughs> hopefully not our frames, any old frames you've got lying around the house and stick them in the envelope. Uh, we'll take those back and we get those responsibly uh recycled and upcycled through TerraCycle. so my mission here is to take more frames out of the system than we're actually putting in ourselves even though we're trying to put in frames that plastic free etc., we still i still feel very responsible for the fact that you know uh, we are still creating product and um ergo by creating product you're always going to have an impact of sorts so if we can try and take some out at the other end of the chain then that's mm. that's the idea and it's it's a big issue actually i'm on a few um circular fashion groups and um unfortunately there's no solution now in the uk That in fact vision aid overseas who uh, is our charity partner used to take a lot of um old frames uh from spec and the like but they've stopped doing that in the last six months um and that's sort of five and a half million frames a year you know that that's now kind of heading heading to landfill etc yeah. so the problem is economics and it's just not Cost-effective enough to recycle frames because there's so many component parts to it. It's not as simple as like buying it all in the machine, recycle. It doesn't work like that. So there is a big issue there, and it's something that it's kind of my side project. Not that I'm busy already, but it's kind of a side project that I'm I'm, I'm going to see to see if it, you know, we can get a bit closer to a solution with with that. Um, so yeah, there's there's quite a lot going on. Uh, it's why I'm having to wear lots of hats.
0: Woolly hat today,
1: as you can. Well, you can't. Nobody can see this on the podcast, but woolly <laughs> hat today. But it's still pretty cold out here, but uh, yeah.
0: Cool. Lots of exciting things coming up, and and congrats on getting B Corp status so early on. Obviously, what what you're doing makes sense that that you've got that and kind of put some companies to shame considering, like you managed to do this so so early on. So that, that that's amazing and. I look forward to seeing what, what you do with it next. Um, and and finally, John, if people want to find out more about Parlour Eyewear or they want to check it out, where do they go and what do they look for?
1: Uh, yes. So um, our website uh, is Parlour Eyewear. I better spell that. It's dot com. And Parlour, just so you know where Parlour comes from, uh it's derived from impala so it's the native um african antelope so again everything in, in fact our sunglass names is all african names so oh. i try and attribute everything in terms of the brand back to africa in some capacity so that's that's why we're called parlor i did it. Uh, that. that's awesome there you go yeah um <laughs> our our socials are at parlor eyewear that's whether you're on instagram um or or twitter um and linkedin of course i'm on linkedin um and we put a LinkedIn page there. So um, various places to see us. And I think we're stocked locally in certain shops. Becky Wrens definitely stock us um, and uh, Covert and Fold. So we're in a few shops in Brighton. um, So if you ever wanna go and see there, but uh, by all means, um, I'm happy to give out my email address. Not many people do that, but I do. John at pilot So if you've got any questions or or, or whatever, I'm very happy to field those as well. yeah, so that's that's as much contact as I can give you right now. <laughs> Perfect.
0: Thanks, John. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining me and for sharing your story with with all the listeners and with me. And I can't wait to see what you do next with Parler.
1: Pleasure. Thanks very much for having me.
0: You've been listening to the Brighton Startup Podcast. Be sure to check us out at brightonstartup.com and join us next week for another episode as we continue to discover Brighton's most exciting startups – and the people behind them.